Amen. Man, I have been looking forward to this for a long time. One was to have Brian Free and Assurance back in the house, and the other was to hear a preacher I had never heard of till just a few weeks back. We were looking, wanting to do a revival. We we're talking about some, and most of you know, a few of you don't, but our youth pastor is a fourth generation preacher, and he was telling me, he said, I've got a preacher friend that. Um, he said, I, I've heard him do a lot of revivals, and I learned even a little bit more. I think Brandon's granddaddy was your teacher, and his daddy was your student. I believe that's the way I understood it. And his granddaddy preached Brother Guy's first revival, and Brother Guy preached at, um, when Brandon was up at West Virginia, preached his first revival. So I've got to listen to a couple of your sermons there at, at Concord, I believe. If I saw it right, been in the ministry for 43 years. And you've been pastoring Concord for 22 years. Is that right? Man, brother, I want you to know it is an absolute incredible pleasure to have you here at Faith Baptist Church tonight. If y'all are welcome, Brother Guy Roberts, come on up, brother. If you don't mind, I'm just going to pray with you before we start. How about that? Father God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. God, I thank you for my brother. I thank you for his testimony. God, I thank you for the power, Lord. I know he is your anointed and your chosen, Father. I pray you'd touch him right now. I pray you'd anoint his lips, touch his tongue, and speak to us, God, with the holiness of your word. We love you, God. We're looking forward to you speaking to us through your chosen. In Jesus' precious holy name we pray. Amen. All right. Take your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Uh, what I want to do tonight, and brothers, I, I appreciate the music. It's been a blessing. It's been encouraging. And I know everybody has enjoyed it. And nobody in here knows me, but I'm good, looking forward to getting to know you over the next few days uh, through Wednesday night. So what I want to do tonight is just kind of give you an idea of what the book of Ecclesiastes is about, uh, written by Solomon. I maybe even just encourage you maybe just to read the book of Ecclesiastes between tonight and tomorrow night. It's just 12 chapters. I'll be honest, Ecclesiastes can be a little bit uh, difficult to read, incredibly hard to outline. I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, I decided at the church where I pastor to go through the book of Ecclesiastes verse by verse, and I'll be honest, it is really difficult to preach verse by verse through the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't know if you've ever read, read much in Ecclesiastes, so I just encourage you maybe to do that between now and tomorrow night. If the Lord doesn't change my mind, we'll be in the book of Ecclesiastes every night. Tonight, an overview Tomorrow night, a particular text. Tuesday night, a particular text. Wednesday night, a particular text. Solomon wrote it. When did he write it? He was incredibly old. Some say about 90. Uh, but here's the deal. Solomon has lived the biggest chunk of his life doing all the wrong things. So really what you have a book that for five or six chapters, he kind of just kind of shares what not to do, how not to live. Basically tells us everything he tried and he ended up empty. In fact, vanity of vanities, that phrase, that thought, just is everywhere throughout the first and really the whole book. He had everything. I mean, he had everything. 
I mean, there was nothing he could not satisfy himself with, and he tried everything, but yet at the end of it, he just relates to us that it's just nothing. It's just emptiness. There's nothing there. So really the book of Ecclesiastes is about how to do life from a man who about ruined most of his. He fell in love with a beautiful woman, Shudamite woman. And then he ruined and fractured that relationship with 900 concubines to satisfy his flesh. So he's going to share a lot of things with us that you just don't need to live for. So I really hope that you'll maybe read through the book. We can't go through the book of Ecclesiastes verse by verse over the next four days. That's just impossible. You don't want to be here that long. So what I want to do tonight is I want us to just look at kind of the whole book. And I'm going to give you four things. These are not the only four things I found in the book of Ecclesiastes. But these are four things I think he's trying to really sell us on. We're starting revival tonight. So I'm going to kind of push you to think about some stuff in your life and maybe make some decisions. I don't know if you'll be able to be here every night. I hope you can. Maybe some of you are visiting tonight and maybe you can't come back. Uh, so every one of these messages will connect. All the dots will connect. And I hope every night you get something from the message. But if you can be here every night, we're going to build on what we're looking at. Lord willing, tonight and tomorrow night, we're going to look at life's perspective. What's your worldview? Brother Free mentioned it, the American dream. That's not a biblical view. And he knows that. I was raised kind of thinking you get a good job, get a better education, have a better life. That's, that's not a Bible view. So I want us to really address some stuff in our life that Ecclesiastes and Solomon is going to make us think about if we've got the right view on life. And I hope, if not tonight, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, or Wednesday night, or the following Sunday, you'll make some real decisions in your life, some real choices in your life. I don't want to just do a few services with you guys. I want us to get some things fixed. I shared with my church this morning. I'll tell you a true story. I preached a lady's funeral on Friday. She was 90 years old. Her name was Rosalie. She was a sweetheart. There's two other ladies that she sat with all the time, and they were characters. We called them the Golden Girls. I don't know which one was who, but whatever. They were the Golden Girls. Tori called me that Rosalie had passed away. And I know we've been through COVID. My wife lost her dad. We've both had COVID. It's been a weird couple of years. But the Spirit of God just kind of spoke to my heart that I had not really visited her like I should have as a pastor. And boy, I was just burned up about that. You know the Spirit of God when He gets on you about something, He's relentless. So I told one, and I kind of shared with her, and I'd given all the excuses, you know. Father-in-law passes away, had COVID. They won't let you in the rest home. But I called the granddaughter up, and when she was talking to me about the services, she said, I just need to say something to you. I need to let you know I just didn't visit your grandmother like I should. I loved her. She loved me. She was my friend, not just my church member. I hope this week you'll come to own something maybe in your life that needs to be fixed. We've done enough with just kind of pushing stuff aside. So what Solomon's going to do is kind of remind us some stuff that's really important in life. 
three things really quick about Solomon because he lived a big chunk of his life for all the wrong things. He lived for self. He just lived for himself. He lived for here. It's not hard to live for here. I like here. So it's easy just to live for the things that are here. It's easy to live for stuff. To accumulate things. And I like stuff. I drove a pretty decent car down here. I've had some tough cars down through the years. I'd rather have a good car. I used to have an old Monte Carlo. It had those long doors. Remember those long doors on the Monte Carlos? I had to pick the baby up to shut it. I hated that car. And I thought God was being bad to me because he wouldn't give me a decent car. I'd rather have the car I'm driving now than the car I was driving then. But we can get too hung up on stuff. That's what Solomon lived for. And really stuff is just to gratify self. Here's some things Solomon struggled with. We'll get to some verses here in a minute. I just kind of want to give you an overview, talk to you tonight just a little bit. He was struggling with life. There was stuff in life he didn't like. He didn't like things that were going on. He didn't like the fact that you leave everything behind. He was struggling with just life. Maybe you're struggling with life. He struggled with death. He struggled with all you get at the end of life is you just die. He had a real pessimistic view of things. He wasn't really looking at a spiritual view. So what I want us to do tonight is just kind of give you four things to think about when it comes to life's perspective. Tomorrow night we'll talk about the same stuff out of a passage of Scripture right out of the book of Ecclesiastes that deals with life's perspective, how you look at life. In the last two nights, Lord willing, life's purpose. What's my purpose? What do I need to be living for? What should I be driven by? I want you to go to Ecclesiastes chapter number 1. The book of Ecclesiastes, like I said, deals with a lot of life issues. In fact, if you go over to chapter 12 and you look at verse number 13, he kind of sums it all up in the 13th verse when he says this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. So this is kind of Solomon summing up the whole book. Are his thoughts on what living a good life looks like. And he really just sums it up. He says, fear God. Live a life that's just conscious of God. That just has a reverence for God. Every day there's a heartbeat going on in your life that you just want to live a life that's pleasing to God. Self out of the picture, stuff out of the picture. Life and death in its right perspective. I just want to live a life that is pushed and passioned by a relationship that I have with God. Second thing, and just keep his commandments. Just be obedient. Just do what he says. Just be obedient to him. For this is the whole duty of man. So look in verse, let's look at verse number three of chapter one. And here I'll give you my first thought here in just a minute. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, another generation cometh. But the earth abideth forever. 
The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to its place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. Rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full, and the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. It tells us a little bit later on, over in Ecclesiastes 12, in verse number 1, it says, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. He's just talking about how old age kind of creeps up on you fast. So the first thing that I want to share with you tonight as an overview of the book of Ecclesiastes is the brevity of life. Life is just short. One of the things that Solomon is going to remind us throughout all the pages of this book is if you're not careful, life will just get by and it will be gone. Stuff will be sold at a yard sale, right? I mean, at some point, there's going to be a gravestone, my name on it, and somebody's not going to visit it if the world just ticks on. I can have impact, I can leave uh, heritage with my family, but he's just simply reminding us, if you don't make decisions quick in your life about what you need to do with your life, life will just go away really fast. This is not new to the, to the Word of God. Moses said this, and this is after he has spent... X amount of months burying people in the desert. 1.5 million people, I think somebody guessed one time what might have been the people that had died, that were going to die, that was 20 and above. If that was 39 years, that'd be 150 funerals a day. He buried people. In Psalm 90, most attribute the 90th Psalm to Moses. Here's what he said, teach us. To number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. I have a grandson. I actually have three grandchildren, but I have one that's uh, six. and He's about to turn seven. Man, I enjoy every minute I get to spend with him. I'll miss this Wednesday, Sunday afternoon, or after the message this morning. He came up and said, Bop. He calls me Bop, B-O-P. He said, I'd love you to come over to the house tonight. I said, son, I can't tonight. I, I got to drive to LaGrange and preach. And so, Bob, you, you won't be able to pick me up Wednesday? And I said, no, Bob, I, I won't be able to pick you up Wednesday. I'm sorry. But I'll pick you up Thursday. I miss every opportunity I have with Wade. But I don't know if I did that when my girls were at the house. I know you got to live with your children and your grandchildren you can send home. I get that. I understand that. But I'm telling you, if you're not careful, you'll miss time with your wife. You know, honestly, it doesn't matter what we live in. I've lived in about everything. I've lived in pretty decent-sized houses. I've lived in a 14 by 76. You know what that is, right? But I had the same stuff in every one of them. I used to grumble and complain about what God was doing, not necessarily the Monte Carlo back in those days. It was a Ford Tempo. Y'all remember them. They quit making them. They only made them a couple years and said, this is a bad idea. Let's just move to something else, right? I hated that car. 
I was preaching or teaching in a Bible college up in Richmond, Virginia, traveling a lot. The front seat was broke. I had two two-by-fours behind it just so it would stay up so I could get my feet on the pedals. You felt real important when you got out of that car to preach at the church. Important. I'm a big zero and a blank piece of paper except for the grace of God. I used to sit at Maymont Park in Richmond, Virginia. And I'd watch my two little girls play. It was free. It was cheap. I didn't have any money. It was the best we could do. And Wanda sat beside me and I was too stupid to understand I had the greatest things right here beside me and a wife and children. I was worried about the trailer I was living in that didn't have a deck. Can I tell you my crying story? I lived in that house for two years and never had a front deck. I never was able to walk out my front door. Y'all feeling sorry for me yet? I'm serious. I was a preacher, traveling, preaching, and in my mind, I was upset about what God wasn't doing in my life and missing my family that was right in front of me. I'm just reminding you what Solomon's going to remind you. I blew my opportunities with that Shunammite woman. I've chased after this and after this and after this and after this and after this. And I found it empty. And I'm telling you, young man, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Because life is short. Teach us to number our days, the text that Moses used. We used to have a pantry door and we'd open it. We had a big calendar on that. And when it got close to Christmas time, I started Xing those days out. That's the idea. Understanding that there is no insignificant day in my life. There just isn't. Everything's significant. Everything's a blessing of God, even if it's a burden, if it's painful and it's difficult. Life is short. Let me throw this at you. Maybe God's been speaking to your heart for weeks. But you just hadn't done anything about it. You ain't got time to mess with that. Look, I've been doing this for 43 years in churches. I've seen enough families get dissolved right off of church pews. And their families just, just disheveled because of disobedience and sin. It don't start when it happens. It started way back yonder. But people won't fix it and they won't deal. They're worried about what somebody will think. Be concerned with what God knows. And do something about it. We ain't got time to mess with it. Mamas and daddies, listen to me. I've spent my whole life in churches where kids can't even find books of the Bible. Some of them ain't got Bibles with them. Raise your kids around the Word of God. I'm not anti-volleyball, anti-any ball. But I'm anti that becoming your God, your stuff, your thing. And I just ain't got time for God's word. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study science. And I hope your kids do great in science and math and whatever. And I hope they score all the goals and kick them straight through and score all the points. But if you can't do that at the same time doing this, you better get rid of that because this, Solomon says, is where I understand how to navigate life. Amen. And one of the ways he's trying to help us tonight, and he'll remind us all through the passage, and I'll be talking about this the rest of this week through Wednesday. You better realize life is short. You don't have time to mess with life. You don't have time to wait. 
You don't have time to put something on the back burner. If there's something that needs to be done, then you need to get it done. James even tells it, your life is like a vapor, right? It appeareth for a moment, and then it goes away. I'm 62. Not that old. I still feel pretty good. It was that old when I was 30. I thought people in their 60s were decrepit, right? <laughs> I'm just being honest. So I know at 62, I, 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 it's getting younger. It's getting younger. But I do see how fast life has gone, right? We all understand that. But if we don't start fixing stuff, it's just, it's just an emotional thing that's in our heads. Solomon says, don't miss. That's why he keeps telling us in 11 and 12, we'll probably do maybe two messages in 11 and 12, Tuesday and Wednesday night. He keeps talking, hammering the young Anybody in the house tonight that say like maybe under, I don't know, 20 years old, 18 years old, and I'm not excluding the rest of y'all, but I'm just telling you, as quick as you can, start chasing Jesus. Amen. Had an old preacher one time, I'd went to hear him preach, and he was preaching over at Tabernacle. I grew up in the Greenville area, Pickens, a little small town I grew up in. And Dr. Harold Seitler was a pastor at uh, Tabernacle, and he had this uh, fellow come in to preach. His name was S.M. Lockeridge. He's a great preacher, old preacher in the day. And he was preaching, and I thought, you know, he was just, you know, amazing. And so I just went down. I thought I'd get some kind of pithy thought from him, you know, and I asked him a couple questions. And this is what he told me. He said, Brother Roberts, he said, get up every day of your life. Find out where he is and follow him. And I thought, big shot preacher. Ain't got time to talk to me. Gives me some goofy thing like that. I have learned there's nothing goofy. Give every day of your life. Find him and follow him. Guys, I ain't telling you not to play ball. I played ball, but I played ball with no, op, no, no time for this. And so I'm just telling you, find a way to scratch this in with the ball. Find a way to get the guys you're playing ball with to understand there's a Savior, there's a Deliverer, there's a Rescuer, there's a Gospel. You don't have to bear this guilt and shame and stuff. Listen, you can't wait till you finish school. Do it, do it now. Why? Because life is short. Second thing, over in Ecclesiastes chapter number 3. And I'll just read a couple verses, verse 10 and verse 11. Ecclesiastes 3.10, it says, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Here's the second thing I want to talk about tonight that I believe is a thrust of the book of Ecclesiastes. And here it is. And it's a trite little t-shirt slogan. God's got a plan. He does have a plan. But sometimes his plan's a mess. Jeremiah. Where the Lord came to Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, I'm sorry, but you're not going to get married. You're not going to have no family. 
You're just going to preach for about 40 years. They're not going to listen to a word you say. Beat you up, throw you in prison, and hey, tell you this, you're going to die in exile. Great. Right? The apostle Paul, he gets saved, right? And this would be like, like right about the altar time. He gets saved. He goes down to Ananias' house. You remember the story? Do you remember specifically what the angel kind of told Ananias? You need to share this with Paul. That he's going to suffer many things for my name's sake. I'm just telling you tonight, God's got a plan. It's got to be more than a slogan with our lives. We don't know what God has in store for us. Can you imagine Hosea? If you was Hosea, you ever read the first few verses of Hosea? I'm satisfied he was a decent fella. You know, trying to live for Jesus, be a holy man, right? And what did God tell him to do? I want you to go marry a, a prostitute. I want you to go over. Can you imagine the conversation? Sir, you do know what I do. Why? Well, it's in the latter part of the verse. Hosea, I, I want my people to see themselves in your wife. And when you go by her back, I want them to see you in me. You see, God's got a plan. It has to be more than a slogan or it'll get you out of church. I got a little bracelet on my arm right here. It says, but if not, you are still good. 37-year-old deacon's wife in my church got cancer. It got bad. It got worse. Husband still comes to church raising two boys alone. Things can be difficult. We don't know what God's plan is. But I'm telling you, only as I navigate life through his word will I be able to really embrace whatever God's plan can be for my life. Surrendered to it, submitted to it, trusting him in it, knowing that he's got grace enough to bring us through it, whatever it might be. Do you see a couple of phrases? Notice in verse number 10, it says, I have seen the travail which God has given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. That's what God does. God is exercising, training, disciplining us through trials. James, when he wrote those believers who had been displaced from their homeland and put in another location, they didn't have money. They were, they, they were driving the Monte Carlos with the bad car doors. They didn't have anything. They were struggling. He says, consider it joy. Surrender to this. God's going to grow you through this. God's going to transform you through this. God's going to show Jesus through this. And so all I'm doing tonight is making sure we are ready for whatever God has. God's been crazy good to me. And I can complain about the fact that I didn't have a deck. I had to really address some stuff in my life. I had a bad perspective. Like God owes me something. God owes me nothing. He gave me everything in the gospel. But he owes me nothing. So does God have a plan? Absolutely. Does God have a purpose? Absolutely. But am I willing to say, yes, Lord, whatever? Paul said this. 
Magnify. Magnify thyself, whether it be in life or by death. That's crazy, right? Life or death, it makes no difference to me, Lord. I just want you to be magnified. I want you to be big in my life. I want the world to see you in my life. So I'm not interested how you do it. I just want your plan, whatever your plan is. Do you see that in verse number 11? It says, he has made everything beautiful in his time. In his time, his way, his purpose, his plan. I mean, there's things about what God does. Sometimes I have no clue what he's doing. I remember the first time I was approached with this. This was, in fact, uh, Brandon. I think he's somewhere with kids tonight. But I was in Virginia at the time. And this husband and wife, they, they came up and uh, they, were, they were torn up. And there had been a, a, a bad accident. And their two little baby girls had been killed in a car wreck. Man, I didn't know what to do or what to say. And I'll be honest, I have felt guilty sometimes reading Romans 8, 28. I'm just being vulnerable and honest. For all things, I'm trying to figure out myself, how, Lord, does this work out? How does this peace fit? See, I'm putting my place in the place of God. I'm trying to figure stuff out. I'm trying to see it from my perspective. We have such a selfish perspective sometimes. And all I did was go to their house and cry. I don't remember saying anything. They've come back to me years later and said, I appreciate everything you did. I thought all I did was cry. I had no words. I remember when a mom came to me and their, their baby had been born. Her name was Jenna. And Jenna had trisomy 18. I'd never even heard of that. I'd never seen such a sight. Baby lived five days, five hours. And I watched that little baby girl die in her mother's arms. I couldn't quote the verse. But I can tell you this tonight. God does have a plan. And if you don't decide to surrender to it, you'll go crazy. You'll get out of church. You'll go down the wrong path. You will try something that will never, never give you peace but he says I can do you notice another little word in there it says in verse number 11 also he has set the world in their heart you know what that word world means it means eternal you are eternal beings you ain't never gonna be happy here there's nothing here that'll ever make you happy the only thing that'll make you happy and whole and fill the void in your life is Christ so you're never going to be satisfied here. You're never going to have all the answers. The ways and the purposes of God are always going to be just outside our pay grade. Because it's trust. It's trusting, knowing, understanding, and believing that he makes no mistakes. Do you remember when um, Thomas, you know, he just, wouldn't, he just wouldn't believe. I ain't believing I'll see I just ain't believing it. Ty, see, I want to put my, my hand. That'd probably been me. But do you remember the little thing that Jesus said right at the end of that little back and forth? He was excited, you know, thankful that Thomas saw and believed. Do you remember the little thing he tacked on at the end of that? He said, but blessed. 
Blessed is the man that believes to see. Tonight, sometimes we just have to believe that this is good. When Joseph stood before his brothers, and I think a pastor preached on this this morning or some element of this, when, when, when Joseph got a chance to be with his brothers, you know, we'd all want to just beat them up real good and stick them in a hole. But do you remember what Joseph said? You meant this for evil. But God meant this for good. And I'm going to tell you, all them years in prison, Right? All those years of being misunderstood, mistreated. Oh, Joseph just kept right on believing. Believing that God has a plan. And God's good. And God's holy. And God's merciful. And God's forgiving. And God's always faithful. Second thing, God has a plan. Third thing, and this is something that's taught all the way through the book. Now, go, go over to chapter 5. Go over to chapter 5 in verses 15 and 16. Life's short. God's got a plan. In verses 15 and 16, it says, And he came, as he came forth, he's talking about us, of his mother's womb, naked, shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he, which he may carry away in his hand. In other words, you ain't taking nothing with you. There's the paraphrase for that one. And notice what he says, and this also is just a sore evil. I mean, who ain't got something tonight you'd love to take with you? My granddaddy shotgun, I would love to take that L.C. Smith double barrel with me to heaven. It ain't going. So he's just saying that's a sore evil. That in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that he hath labored for the wind? You can live your life for wind. Or you can live your life for the eternal. Number three, live life for the eternal. Well, that ain't easy. Jesus spent a whole mountainside message on trying to get people. Don't worry about treasures down here. Moth and corruption. And I'm not saying go sell everything you have and live in a pup tent. But I'm just saying, we can get way too caught up in driving, pushing, planning, purposing for here. And we're leaving here taking nothing with us. Nothing with us. Jesus even said, he said, you really need to take some of the stuff you got and sell it. It's in the Bible. He said it, so talk to him. And invest it in some other stuff. See, that's just not American dream thinking. It's not humanity thinking, but it's biblical thinking. It's Bible thinking. It's life perspective with a scriptural twist. What did Paul say? Seek those things. I mean, it's like he's being redundant with Jesus. No, he just takes what Jesus says and elaborates. Seek. Those things which are above. And he even gives us theology behind it because that's where you are. You're in Christ, hid in Christ, in the gospel, Ephesians, in the heavenlies. Well, live there. Seek the things above. Second thing, set your affections. 
I grew up in church. I mean, I spent my whole life in church. But my affections were never scriptural things. Never. Why? Because ball was just easy. It was easy for me to have affections to play ball. Now, me, I was into race cars. I built engines and my old Camaro and stuff. And I mean, I, I had no problems being passionate about it. Man, I'd spend money for that too, buddy. I'd save it up, spend it, build it, have grease up to my elbows. Spiritual things. How passionate are you about spiritual things? About his word. And we might talk about that some point through Ecclesiastes. He digs more with that towards the end of the book. But how much time do you spend in God's word? I'm just telling you, if you want to seek the things of God and have your affection set on the things of God, you're going to have to spend some time in his word. That's living with an eternal perspective. That every day you're going to find time to go into his truths to make sure that you've got the right navigation for life. Living with an eternal perspective. Living for the things of God. I'll give you one illustration. I was in Anderson, South Carolina. If anybody knows where Anderson's at. And I was at a church, Oakwood Baptist. And I was just thinking about some things we could do. I wasn't the pastor of the church. I was associate pastor. And I'll be honest, I was just getting a little bored. And I should have been doing this a long time ago. And I talked to my wife. And my wife is a neat freak. She might be watching not if it's Facebook Live or whatever. I'm sorry, darling. So I knew this was going to be difficult. But I said, I'd like to start inviting teenagers to the house. And I know what that meant. Mess, you know, and crackers and chips and whatever. Sorry, teenagers. But, you know, that's who you are. You can't help it. <laughs> so I was anyway. And so every Monday night for eight years, the last eight years I was there, we had kids in our home. It grew. And I lived in a small house. I only had one bathroom, two bedrooms. The girls were sharing a bedroom. So it was small and it was tight. And so now there's about 35, 40 kids. Some of them come from practice. I'm just being honest, they stunk a little bit. <laughs> so we needed a bigger place. Because I told them to come. You come sweating, I don't care. Just come on. We want you to come for Bible study. We might have a few Debbie cakes or whatever. We're going to study the Bible. We're going to grow our faith. Man, it was some of the best Monday nights I've ever had. And can I tell you something? I ain't never stopped. I ain't never stopped opening up my home to people that need an investment. When's the last time you opened up your house? That's an eternal thing. When's the last time you saw somebody in your neighborhood not going to church and just maybe made the statement, it's just so sad they don't go to church. Well, go get them. Bring them with you. Oh, I know about lawsuits and all that stuff. We have let so many fears Keep us from being the body of Christ. Amen. So it, the Bible study is grow, growing. And I, I, I told this one couple, I said, you know, they, they said, well, I hear it's growing and, and we want to use our house. And I'm always a little scared because they don't know what they're getting into if they've never done it. And so they asked me to come over to their house and kind of scope it out, find out where they live. And I did, and I'm not knocking anybody that lives in any kind of house or whatever, so don't get offended at me. But it was a big old house. I mean, they had a baby grand piano in there, and I'm thinking, oh, I could already see a kid on it going, you know, whatever. And I'm thinking, oh, brother, Lord help us. How do I tell these people, you might not want these kids coming? 
And I mean, the front yard was manicured. So they said, come on. So I said, all right. And I mean, we was having 35 or 40 kids. Ninth grade up to 12th grade. Most of them could drive or they'd bring their buddies with them. And, and, and the guy, Andy was his name. Andy drove across the corner when he pulled into his driveway across his grass. And, and, and depressed it some. I kid you not. And I'm not making fun of nobody, but I'm just trying to get you to live with eternal perspective. When we all left, and I was apologizing, he was out there with a fork. <laughs> lifting up that grass. And you know what he said to me? I've got $30,000 in this front yard. I'm thinking, holy cow, you spent that much... You might need a brain test or something. I'm just, I shouldn't have said that. Cut that out. Here's my point. I'd rather have my living room full of kids that need some direction, need some navigation, and their mamas and daddies won't do it. So I keep opening up my home. I don't care what crumbs get on there. That's just carpet. That's just a house. And if I had $30,000, I wouldn't put it in my front yard. (laughs) I'm just saying. So will you this week, will you, think about living with an eternal perspective? In eight years, and I'm not trying to put nothing on me. I didn't do nothing but open my home and try to share a little gospel and share a little God's word with some kids. But in eight years, I saw 13 young men surrender to ministry, and they're all over the country preaching the gospel. I did nothing. I don't want any accolades. I even hate mentioning it. But I'm just telling you, live for the eternal The dividends are beyond. Can't get touched by anything on the planet. Quit saying you can't. Quit saying you're not there. And listen, if you need to fix some stuff in your life, remember point number one. You ain't got untold tomorrows. You ain't got next Sunday. The Bible says live in now. So what I'm saying is life short and God does have a plan. Okay, let's go back to plan. You don't like the plan you're in. Listen, I despised the 22 months and so many days I was in Virginia. I didn't like the car I was driving. Done told you about the deck. Hated the trailer. Why? Because it didn't have a deck. I wasn't in the right frame of mind. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how God used me. Because he's gracious and merciful. That's the only thing. Because half the churches I went, and I'm just self being honest, I went into churches with the wrong frame of mind. Life's too short. And if I don't like, like his plan, get over yourself. God's got a plan. You ain't the major player. And I get to be in it. Why should I care, pawn or king? 
I'm in it. I'm in his plan. I get to do stuff for Jesus. I get to bring glory to his name. I get to put a smile on God's face. You do too. So don't miss it. Don't miss it. Start living for the eternal right now. Fourthly and lastly, you're accountable to God. There's several occasions that he mentions this, and I'll just use one back over in chapter 11. In verse 9, he says this. He says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. and Let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. And walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. You know what he's saying in verse 9? Enjoy your life. Just enjoy your life. Ride your bike, play your ball, BMX bikes, whatever you do. Just enjoy it. The heart's desires. God ain't, God ain't no tyrant. God's not one us locked up in life. He wants us enjoying it. But he's going to remind us. But know thou that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. You will face the way you use your life. You're going to be accountable. Not accountable to a church. Not accountable to some preacher. But accountable to God. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Ask you a couple questions and I'm going to turn over to the pastor. Scattered thoughts just from the book of Ecclesiastes. Tomorrow night, if the Lord doesn't change my mind, we'll be in chapter 6. Last couple verses and the few, first few verses of chapter 7. I do encourage you to read the book of Ecclesiastes, maybe. But with these thoughts in mind, is there something you just need to handle, need to deal with? I'm just encouraging you to open your heart and open your mind. It's my first night here. I don't know you. You don't know me, but we all know Jesus. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, I ask you, take a few minutes after this service, find somebody and say, I want to know what the gospel says for me. They sang about it. You've heard it. Redemption was provided. A way's been made. What we could not do and could never do in a thousand lives or a thousand do-overs. Jesus did one act on the cross, paved a way for any sinner, every sinner, to come to faith in Christ. But maybe you're in the house tonight. You're a believer. Your pastor's been preaching these last few weeks. God's pricked your heart, but you've just sat there. What do they think? Who cares what they think? Let's respond to what God knows and fix what needs to be fixed in our life. And get ready to live every day for the eternal. Because one day we're going to face him. Pastor, you come on, brother. Thank you so much for your attention tonight. Thank you so much, brother. Incredible message. And I've been waiting for weeks. I've been excited and now I know why. I came expecting something. And when you expect something, God always delivers more than you expected. What an incredible message. I, um, I want to ask if you would to you keep your heads bowed, eyes closed just for a minute. I can't imagine being at the Father's house and anybody walking out of here lost and on their way to hell. I want to ask you with heads bowed, eyes closed, do you know that you know that you know if you died tonight, you'd go to heaven? I want you to raise your hand right where you're at. Say, I'm a child of the King, washed in the blood. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and I know 
where my future will be. Thank you. You can put your hands down all over the building. If there's anybody, live streamer in this building, you couldn't raise your hand. You say, I'm just not sure. Don't go to bed tonight without knowing. All it takes is you asking him to save you from your heart. It's pretty simple. It's you confessing your sins. Father, I'm a sinner. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you to save my soul in Jesus' name. It's just you surrendering your heart to God. If you're faithful to ask, he's faithful and just to save your soul. Amen. Amen. You guys